you uh, musicians, worship team, for that. Uh, just a chance to sing out the truth of who, uh, who he is and uh, realize who we are only matters because of who he is. Uh, I'm grateful for that. Uh, for those who are watching online uh, or tuning in on our podcast or on our uh, Spotify, uh, grateful that you're taking some time to do that. For those here tonight, you are part of the live studio audience, so uh, whatever you shout out, they will hear. And if it's improper, I will say your name after. So, uh, <laughs> But grateful to uh, just spend some time in his word. Otherwise, normally I'd be down there, but uh, cameras don't pick that up. So uh, we've been in a series, a long series, uh, uh, talking about building a biblical worldview in 2022. And we're actually going to take a break from that uh, tonight, maybe for, maybe for a few weeks as we prepare for Easter. But I uh, wanted to talk about um, something that Holy Spirit just keeps bringing up in my life. And it's not just in the last little while that this has come around. It's come around in my life time after time after time. And I was talking to Beth about it. And I was like, you know, is it, is it one of those things that like it's just got to keep coming around until I learn it? Uh, and she was like, you know what? I think everybody has this brought around time after time after time just in our lives. And so uh, tonight, you know, like my, my hope is to share something that's going to be of benefit for you because you came. Uh, but I, I found it difficult for me to, to, like, to, to think about how do I translate that into you know, somebody else's um, situation. Um, I'm, I'm like a middle-aged man with children and, a, and an amazing wife. And uh, I know how this, and I mean, my job is to uh, be a pastor and serve in this capacity. And like, I get paid to study the word. And so I'm like, all of these things that I thought about, how, how, does, my, how does that affect my life? And then I thought, you know, what about like, you know, my nephew who's like, you know, 17 and works in a butcher shop. Like, how does this affect him? How does this affect a woman or like a, a young, a, a young woman or like, or a wife? Like, I'm not going to be able to translate that exactly, but I trust that the Holy Spirit will. And so uh, tonight I want you to just, I really, that's the hope, is that you would listen for his voice. We always say that, but I definitely mean that, that you would hear him. And so we've got some uh, little sheets in front of you there. If you feel like, man, there's something, I, man, I need to remember that. Grab that little piece of paper. It says notes on it. Just jot that down. Stick it in your pocket. It will come out when you most need it, I, I promise you. So let's jump in tonight. I want to talk about something so simple that it's just, it's so easy to miss. Uh, and I think we, personally, I miss it often. And I, I think not even just that we miss the truth of it, I think we miss the significance, the incredible significance of it. And so I'm reading a book, uh, like I said last week, Beth left a book on my uh, night table called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. It's been making its rounds around some, some of you may have read it. It's fantastic. Uh, and it's just this reminder of our pursuit of him, because that's, that's why we're Jesus followers. We're following him. Uh, but there's one line in, in the book where it's, it's, it's actually under one, I believe, chapter four. It says this, where can I go from your spirit? That was Matt just saying. <laughs> I gave fair warning, right? So... Uh, the nice thing about online is they can edit that out, but they probably won't. All right, so there was just one line at the beginning of chapter four. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? So I, I read those lines a couple times over. I just realized they're taken from the psalm, uh, that, a song that David wrote. And I just want to read that together. Psalm 139. If you have your Bible, just open it uh, to the book of Psalms. Psalm 139. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you should. It's phenomenal. But it picks up in verse 7. Here's in the New Living Translation the version of those words. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, 
you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask for the darkness to hide me and light around me to become night, but even in the darkness, I can't hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light, they're the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. He ends the chapter by saying this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And as I read this, and I was challenged by these three simple words, that that whole thing can be brought down to three simple words, and they are these. God is here. God is here. Can we just say that together for a minute? Watching online, let's go. God is here. God is here. God is here. I mean, three just short words. Each have meaning of their own, but together the importance that they have. I wonder how easy it is for us to forget the truth of those three words. That God is here. Somebody will be like, well, of course he's here. We're in church. It's the house of God. You know, it's, and we know it's not. This building is not. But you're like, that's kind of the assumption. Where we're watching, you know, it's like, yeah, of course. It's this, we're going to meet with the Lord and with one another, and, and uh, God is here. And for others, you would say, well, yeah, I understand that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. I get, I get what David's saying. There's nowhere that you can go. He's, he's everywhere. But my, I guess the question that I have tonight is, have you ever had one of those moments where, not here, well, maybe here, but elsewhere that you felt close to God? I think sometimes, you know, Barry and I, we go up fishing in Elk Lake, and it's quiet up there. And, there's, and you sit there, and you watch just as the stars, like, by the millions, and, and reflecting off this pristine lake. And it's, it's quiet. You sit there sometimes, and we just stare at the, at the sky, you know, like, man, like, God is awesome. Like, I feel, I feel so close to God. Have you ever had one of those moments? Can you picture it in your mind? Maybe it was here. Maybe it was in like this amazing worship service. Maybe it was a few minutes ago. You're like, oh, God is here. I felt my liver quiver. It could have been the, could, the hairs on my neck stood up, right? I mean, it could be the bass. It could have been whatever. But, but it could have been, you know, that I, I feel like God is here. Well, the truth is, if we think about what David wrote, that God is here. But he's also here. And he's here. And also here. And then we think, you know, we think about his life, we realize that God is here. And here. And here. And even here. Hmm. But if we follow it even further, we realize that God is also here. And here. And here. Nowhere we can go where he's not. And I don't 
think that our world, most people in our world have grasped the reality that wherever you find yourself, God is here. Regardless of whether you're a Jesus follower or not, of course, as he lives in a Jesus follower, he's where you are, but he's everywhere. There is nowhere where he is not. You know, some would say, and they look at these things we posted, and they're like, well, God, of course, he's in everything. God is everything. And they take it to that other meaning where it's like, you know, God, it, God's in every flower. God's in every tree, and God's in all those things, and, and, and that is God. If you, if you step on, a, on an ant, you stepped on God, and, you know, God's in those flowers. And, but, but the truth is, God is not in those things. He is the creator of them, and just like a painter's not in the painting, he might be with his painting, but he is not, he is not the painting. God, the creation itself, everything around is not God of, uh, uh, in and of themselves. And the thought is that they make everything divine, that everything is including themselves. You know, man is, we've talked about this, a man is so divine, but if you make everything divine, you lose the power of what divinity is. It's like if everything is made of gold, well, then gold is worthless. And the same thing, if everything is God, if everything is divine, well, then divine means nothing. So my question, I guess, tonight is if, if that's true, the God's everywhere. He's in those great mountaintop moments, and he's, you know, when you're sitting in your deepest, darkest moment, then my question is, how close are you to God right now? How close are you to him right now? And there's some different thoughts on that. Geographically, I don't know if you realize, but you can never be any closer to God geographically than you are right now. You move to a different seat, you're still just as close to God as you were wherever you were sitting. You go out to your car, you're as close to God. And the truth of that is, you know, you can't be any further away from him either. It doesn't matter where you go, you can't get away from his presence is what David was saying. And there's no time either. You, you know, that it's not like God's trying to catch up to you. That, you know, say, oh, I haven't, I haven't spent really much time with God this week. You know, I, it's going to take me a week to get back there. I've walked away from the Lord for years, for decades. It's going to take me some time maybe for, for God and, my, and me to be, you know, close again. <laughs> not geographically, not time. I mean, instantly as you turn to him, he's right there. He was there with you in the womb. He was there as a child. He was there with you yesterday. He was there with you 10 minutes ago. He was here right now. He is here right now. And that also means that right now in this moment, wherever, I mean, you're listening online. It could be 10 years from this point. God is here. God is here. And so why do we think that? We're like, Mark, that is so simple. And I said that at the beginning. This is so simple. But what do we miss? I think sometimes we miss the power of the fact that he is here. That wherever we are, at all times, he, he's right there in that moment. But not just that God is here. David and the Old Testament characters understood God as he revealed himself. When David wrote this about God is here, he understood the, the words like Moses where Becky said last week, Moses said, God, who do I tell them sent me? What's your name? And he's like, I am. I, I am? Yes, I am. Like, I am it. I am ever present. I am not dependent on anyone. I am unchangeable. I am completely sufficient. I am able, and I am sending you. Go tell them that. So he goes up to the people of Israel and says, God sent me here. And they're like, well, what's his name? I am. What is that? I am. God is present. They're like, to this nation of people of 400 years in slavery, all of a sudden God comes on the scene and like, hey, I'm here. I am here. And God would then reveal himself multiple times through different people, and they would write it down through Jewish scripture, this is who he is. 
These are the names of God. And if you've ever done a study on the names of God, it's, it's incredible. But he, he began to reveal himself as Elohim in Genesis 17. The plural, the trinity, the, the, the mighty creator. He's like, this is who I, I am. I'm, I'm the mighty creator. I'm strong. When you feel weak, God is here. Then he would go on to explain to Abraham that he's Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. He's the provider. And if you ever find yourself, man, when I'm in need, oh, well, God is here. He said to the Israelites in Exodus, I'm Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals you body, soul, and spirit. And when we're sick in our, in our body, our soul, our spirit, it's that God is here. Jehovah Nisi, the banner in Exodus, their victory, their freedom. <laughs> Whenever they found themselves faced with trial or suffering, God is here. Shalom, he said to judges, to Gideon, I am your peace. In the chaos, the uncertainty of the world we live in, God is here. Sidkenu is a word he used with Jeremiah describing his righteousness. I am God who is righteous and, and, and your righteousness. It's like when we miss the mark, and I don't know about you, but I've done it many times, haven't lived up to God's standards. You think that feeling of, you know, uh, I'm, I, I, things are not right in my world. It doesn't matter because of him. We are right with God because he is here. Jehovah Rohi is how David described him in Psalm 23, the shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd. You know, when it feels like everything's out of control, <laughs> he's here. When I'm not sure where to go, he's here. In Ezekiel 48, he writes as Jehovah Shammah. He says that the God who is there, the God who is present, ongoing, like God is here. Not like Elvis has left the building. God has left the building. No, he's here, like ongoing. He wasn't just here two, two minutes ago when we said he's here. He's still here. And whether you feel or sense his presence, he's here. And why did I say that about worship? That's where sometimes it's like in the music, I feel like the presence of God. And we sit down and hear the sermon like <clears throat> his presence is left. <laughs> he's here. But sometimes I think we're looking for that feeling and our eyes aren't looking for him. I don't know about you, but it happens to me lots of times. And he simply says in Genesis 15 too, he introduces himself as Adonai, I'm Lord. I'm Lord over all. God is here. God is here. And as you think about that, Jesus would come to the planet. We call him Jesus, but his name's Yeshua. You know, I don't know if you know Jesus is his English nickname. You know, we sing all these songs about somebody who, but Yeshua. And I thought about this. I was like, man, he is all of the above. He was the one who said, I, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God. All things that were created by Him and through Him and for Him. He's the provider of food for the hungry, and we see Him as He feeds 5,000. He's the healer of the sick. Whoever touched His garment was made well. He's the one who sets free, and, and those who are set free, they are free indeed. He's the Prince of Peace, who brought peace to the world, peace with God. Um, and man, he's the only righteous one. He's our righteousness, the one who went to a cross, not deserving, not deserving death, but by his one righteous act, we become righteous in, in him. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's the one who promised that he'll never leave you, never forsake you. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He's, he, he is the one. What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. That the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and earth would bow. To the, that every tongue would confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're like, man, that's who's here. That's who's here. 
How many times we go through life and there's times where we're like, ah, yeah, I believe God's here. Having no understanding of the deepness, the richness, the, the concept of who is actually here. God is here. In your living room tonight, God is here. In your car, God is here. I thought I'd see more smiles for that. God is here. Wow. And I, and I, I kind of assumed this would be how it went. Because we're like, Mark, we know that. We know that. We've heard it all our lives. God is here. But here's the thought. The question I feel challenged with is this, is what is my response to that? What is my response to God is here? And for me, it boils down to two responses, two typical responses. Number one, control. And number two, surrendered pursuit. Control and surrendered pursuit. So I'm reading through uh, Judges. We're on to Samuel now as we read through the, through the Bible together on our reading plan. If you've read through the last little while of 1 Samuel 4, you hear the story of Eli, the high priest, who uh, he, was, he was getting old and he let his sons be the ones who, um, who would serve the people in the tabernacle. It just simply says that they were evil men. They had no respect for God at all. They, uh, it says they didn't know the Lord, and as a result, they thought they could control him. They took advantage of the people who were bringing sacrifices. They took more than they should. They took advantage of the young women who served at the temple. They treated the presence of God with contempt, it says. That though God is here, because at that point, God was only present. You know, his, his manifest presence was in that tabernacle. They're like, hey, God is here, but it meant nothing to them. And later on, the Israelites, because it meant nothing to them in that moment, when the Philistines attacked and they lost 4,000 men, they're like, this is terrible. We're God's people. What do we do now? And they're like, we know what to do. Call, we need to bring, we need God here. That must be the problem. And so they sent word to Hophni and Phinehas, who are these two men, these two evil uh, priests. And they said to them, you know, we need God in the battle, so bring him. And they're like, they had treated God like a trinket for so long. It was no big deal for them to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and say, we got God. He's in this box. We're going to bring him over and, and, and everything will be good. And so... They treated Adonai as we saw all the names. God is here. That, that's that's God is revealed in the Old Testament. That's, they said, we got him. We got all that in this little box, and we're, we're going to bring him in. And uh, it's going to be all right. You know, in verse 5, it actually tells us, and I've heard this verse quoted before. It says, there was great joy and excitement as the ark came into the camp. As the presence of God came into the camp, there was so much joy and excitement because they had just lost 4,000 buddies and they're like, the answer is here. God is here. And they start cheering and stomping. It says that the earth shook. And they were like, man, this is going to be amazing. But the Philistines could feel the earth shaking. They were terrified. They're like, what is going on? And they're like, oh no, the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians are now in the camp and they're going to be coming for us. They said to each other, they said they encourage each other, fellow Philistines, if you don't fight like your life depends on it, you will lose your life tomorrow. The gods are with them. And they had more sense to know that you know the, the gods are here and they were in terror. But the other side was like, oh, the gods are here. Let's celebrate. Oh, it's going to be great. And they went out and they were slaughtered. 30,000 of them died, including Hophni and Phinehas and the ark that had the presence of God gone, taken. They were in shock. I thought, man, sometimes I wonder, God is here, wasn't enough in that moment. Their response was like, as long as we got God here, we can control, we can, we can control the outcome. He'll win a battle for us. The truth is that God's plan and God's will actually happened that day. And we know it because he had told Samuel just a few nights before, I'm going to purge the evil leadership from this country. I'm going to purge it out of here. 
And we see that happen on that battlefield that even though they thought we can control the will of God, he's like, you can't. He is not controllable. That's the idea that God is here, is that he is, well, I like to think about C.S. Lewis. When C.S. Lewis described Aslan in his book, um, it's not about a lion, a witch, and a wardrobe as much as it's, a, it's that picture of, of Jesus. This, he says this, this lion, he's not a tame lion, but he's good. And God, he's not controllable. He's not tameable. But you can trust that he is good. That he's never going to do anything that isn't. And he's not going to fit in your little boxes. He's not going to fit just in like, oh, you know, whatever. It's my Saturday night service box. This is, where, this is where God is. Or it's in my devotional time or whatever. That's where God is. He's like, no, no, no. He's here all the time. And he is at work all the time. He never stops working. And it's like that realization of, oh, 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 God is here. Because I don't know about you, but for me, my default is to think God is here. Live by my own desires, live for my own things, think I'm going to figure things out, going to control things in my, in my life. I don't, some of you know I'm a bit of a control freak. Don't worry, you're allowed to laugh. I won't point you out. Uh-huh. This week we went out for uh, wings to a restaurant, Beth and I, and uh, we ordered like the whatever, a bunch of the... It was half price, so it's a good Dutch, you know, time to go for wings. And, and so we ordered probably more than we would normally have. And, and, and didn't it happen that they also brought us these wings ahead of time? We're like, oh, okay, you know, and, and uh, didn't realize it wasn't the flavor we ordered. And then later on, they realized, oops, we made a mistake. And so we had like 40-something wings between two of us and was like, oh, this is like a, this is like whatever. But then afterwards, of course, it's like, you know, they, you want boxes? Take it to go. I'm like, yeah. And so we're stuffing them in there. I'm trying to close this box, and I cannot get it to close. And, of course, she just looks across the table. She's, like, smirking. She's like, you having trouble with that? And I was like, yes, you want to do it? She's like, no, I just want to watch, right? I was like, oh. And having trouble just putting the wings in the box. And, and as, I, as I thought about it later, I'm like, man, that, that's like this picture of me sometimes trying, trying to put God in that, in that box of this is how I, how I want it to work. This is how I want it to go. This is how, you know, the, if the service is awesome, if they loved the preaching, then it's going to fit in the box. And it was just this, this thought that I wonder sometimes if we fall into that trap, the little bit of control freakish comes out. You know, we can't, truth is we can't control God by any means whatsoever including our good behavior, including our prayers, including, it's our instinct, right? To say, oh, if I give or if I serve, if I do, I, I'm going to get in God's better books. But it doesn't happen that way. It never happens that way. You know, I, I read about Paul in Acts chapter 9, and he talks about it in Acts 26, about his conversion experience. Paul was like on this mission. He's like, I'm gonna, guess what I'm going to do for God? I'm going to go out and I'm going to wipe out this church thing. You know, these, these Jesus followers. We're getting rid of all of them, and I'm going to do it for you, God. And he goes out on a mission. What happens? He's somewhat successful, and, and, and God meets him on that road to Damascus and knocks him off the horse. And what's the question does he ask him? <laughs> he's like, Paul's like, who are you? And he's like, it's me, Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And he says this, it, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goats? Don't you find that it's difficult for you when you're trying to be the one in control? You're going to do this for God? He's like, don't, don't you realize... He says, it's impossible to go against what I will, what I desire. He says to him, you know, that thought that Paul's going to wipe out the church. I wonder if Jesus is like, hey, I, I am, you know, I am. He says, I don't know if you know this, but I told Peter, I am is going to build this church. And the gates of hell won't stand against it, let alone you. 
I am at work in this, and, and you can't stop it. But guess what? You can join it. As we read later, I think Paul wouldn't say it in these words specifically, but as you read through all the New Testament letters, this theme comes over and over again. I thought I knew him, but now I do. And man, I want to know him more. I thought I knew him, but now I know him, and I want to know him more. I was just reading this week. I read through Job, uh, the last part of Job, Job 42, verse 5. Job has a similar thing. He says, I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. What does he say? God, I, I heard about you, but now I've seen you. You know, the most important thing Becky mentioned last week was simply this, that we would know who he is. Man, we, I have a song we sang tonight. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, right? Like, that's what it is. I've I, I heard a thousand stories of what people think you're like, but, but, I, but I know. I've heard your whisper. I've, I've heard your voice. Man, that, that's what I, like, can we sing those words with, with that, that they're genuine? Because I think it's really easy for us to get to that spot of, well, hey, I've heard what Mark thinks you're like. <laughs> I've heard, I went to church, you know, I had those experiences. But the thing that I see is in those areas, we're, 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 we're doing the box. We're like, man, we're, we're controlling how and when God works in our life. God is here in this place. But and, and it, the other side of it is this, simple surrender. Surrender sometimes has like this negative connotation to us. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm super competitive. Like waving the white flag, throwing in the towel, tapping out, those are all indicators that I lost. Surrender has this thing of, no. But the realization of surrender is that we're surrendering to perfect goodness. If we realize that, well, then there's no loss at all. There is no loss when we surrender to perfect goodness. Surrendering to his will doesn't mean that we're surrendering to evil. And it, sometimes we wrestle with those things like, well, you know, why do you take stands on certain things? Because I see all through Scripture that the heroes of faith surrendered to him and stood up against evil in the same breath. You look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They just simply said, we, we surrender to God's will for our lives. You know, if you throw us in the fire um, and, and we survive, great. If you don't throw us in the fire, we're still not going to serve you. And if you throw us in the fire and we die, we're still not going to serve you. Because what you're asking us to do is evil. And we said, we're surrendered to him and we'll stand up against evil. Daniel, he's like, yeah, you know what? I've surrendered to God. You might throw me in a den. I'm surrendered to him, but I'll stand against evil. David saying, you know, how can you guys allow Goliath to just, how can you allow evil to just speak against the Lord day after day after day? No, I will stand against it. Like, okay, you're going out to fight him. Okay, I, you know what? <laughs> the Lord rescued me before, and I believe he's going to rescue me again. Let's go. Man, where is that in our time? Where is that in our lives? And I think about our greatest example, Jesus simply surrendered to the will of God to go to that cross for you and for me and stood victorious over evil as a result. You know, I think that hands raised in surrender, you know, when they like stick them up, it's like surrender is also the same, <laughs> the same posture of worship. Just God, you're here. I, I, I surrender to what you want to do. There's a song that, uh, there's always a song it says, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. I'm not here for you to bless me. I'm not here. I just want you to do what you want to do. And God, I'm in. I am with you because you are here. 
And it's not passive surrender, but it's a pursuit of him. As we wrap this up, this is the, that thought of where we take it from here and we take it home. That we would take full advantage of the truth that God is here wherever we are. That I might actually be closer to him. And we think, well, you can't be closer to him. You just told us. Geographically, no, but relationally, yes. And we all know it. If you're married, you know this. You can sit in, your, in, a, in a room with your, you, with your spouse and uh, be miles apart relationally. Or you can be so, so close. And it's that same thing that God's saying, you know, geographically, you can't get away from me. I'm everywhere. But relationally, I can only do whatever you're going to surrender in your heart to allow me to do. Where will you make the room? My suggestion is this. What if closer doesn't mean more church services, more songs, more podcasts, more sermons on the way to work, more books, more prayers, more petitions, but less? What if it means less? What if it means slow down? What if it means simplify? What if it means silence? That I might seek him, that I might know him, that I might hear him? Last week I mentioned that when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, it was just him and God. No crowds, no, no, nobody else. Just him, God, and silence. It was the one picture. <laughs> that guy was the one person who got to have what God had with Adam in the garden. Relationship. Silence. It's awkward, isn't it? I hate it. I hate it. I remember telling the worship team, don't leave any pauses between the songs. And now I realize that it is the one thing to embrace. Would you try it with me for a minute? Just think about the thought, God is here. How quick do our thoughts want to go somewhere else? It's like everything in our life just wants to seven seconds of attention and then move on, move on, move on. Really challenged with this thought that, you know, just like we have physical senses, taste, touch, hear, speak, smell, our soul, our spirit has those same senses that though they might be weak, they exist to know God. Whenever we see it, David wrote in Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> he didn't be like, hey, listen to a sermon that the Lord is good. 
I, mean, I want you to like taste it. I want you to experience his, his goodness. Because how many of you this? God is good. You know what to say. <laughs> but have we experienced that God is good? Have we tasted? Have we seen it? Not just, hey, I've heard a thousand stories about God's goodness. But no, no, no. I know it. I know it. I've heard it. I've heard his voice. John was an eyewitness follower of Jesus, and Jesus talked about how he's the good shepherd. And what does he say in John 10, 27? My sheep listen to my voice. They hear my voice. Not just my word. Not, not just somebody preaching a sermon. Not just even just the text out of the scriptures. They hear my voice. As they read scripture, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I would encourage you with that thought as you're reading scripture to slow down and say, God, I want to... I want to hear your voice. For some of you, that's two steps you haven't taken. One, to say, I'm going to sit down and read scripture sometime. (laughs) And two, God, that I would hear your voice. Final thoughts. There's a show called The Masked Singer, and where they try and guess who's in the chicken soup based on the songs they sing and, you know, how they, uh, can they recognize the voice of these celebrities, these famous people they know, and they're like, oh, listening, die. Maybe. Thought about this, too, because I have this, skill that's probably not great is that I can be talking to you and listening to what's going on in another room at the same time. Uh, and I strain to hear what's happening. Cause, and I'll sometimes jump, jump into the conversation in the other room from where I am. <laughs> it's totally offensive to whoever I'm speaking with. But I thought about that this week. I strained so hard to hear what's happening in another room, even as I sat this, you know, just in my own time up in my room in silence, I could hear my kids downstairs as I'm just saying, you know, God is here. My ear is listening for what are they saying down there? I thought, you know, what if I did the same thing of just, man, I just would strain to hear what's happening in another realm? What's happening in his room? What's happening? What is his voice saying? What if I just simply gave that that time to listen? It's reminded of uh, an old movie, Benjamin, the kids, something case of Benjamin Button, who he's born old and he gets young. You know, and I thought, as I'm getting older, my hearing is going, so now I pay more attention to whoever's in front of me. Uh, and my eyes are dimmer, so I can't even see your expressions tonight, but that's what happens when you get older. But I thought the exact opposite happens spiritually for us, or it should, that our hearing of his voice only gets clearer and clearer, that the more that we see him and his will gets clearer and clearer, because isn't that the destination we're heading? Where one day I will close my eyes here and I will open them up and (gasps) I see clearly what I've been searching for this whole time. What I've seen uh, the steps along the way. I I hear his voice now fully because even just, oh yeah, I know, I know it. I recognize it's him. It's his voice. It's, it's It's the thing that John wrote to the churches in Revelation. Simply said, man, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him listen and understand. Why? Because God is here. God is here. So tonight, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. It was a lousy sermon. I don't know. I hope it's an inspiration. Because for me, it's what he's stirring up in my heart. It's just this desire just to, to know him more. And I'm like, I've been here before. I've, I've done this. I've talked about God in the box before. And, and yet here it comes around again. That he never stops drawing at us. I want you to know me. And everything you think about life, it, 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 all its answers are in knowing me. And to take some time this week, really, not, not here, but somewhere, and say, I'm just going to be still, so that I might be still and know 
that he's God, like Psalm 46 says, that you might echo the words of David in Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God, and I earnestly search for you. Why do you keep searching for someone you found? Because there's so much more to see. There's so much more to see. And with Job, you know, as David said, search me and know my heart. Lead me to the path of everlasting life. At the end of the psalm we read at the beginning, and Job said that, you know, I can simply say the same thing. Lead me in the path of my ears that they heard of you, but now I've seen you. And I'm convinced it will not happen in church services. It won't happen. It will not happen until we slow down somewhere on our own and just like, God, I want to know you. And I'm also convinced that the people who do that, the people who truly know their God, will be strong and do great exploits, just like they've done in the past. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, I just have one last thought for you. There is a box in our heart that's shaped like him, and it's empty. Without him, it's empty. And we try and fill it with everything, but I can tell you, you'll always have that emptiness on the, on the inside, an emptiness that just never finds a satisfaction, different than what we've talked about tonight. But the thing is this, realizing that nothing else fills that void is because there's a, there's a sin gap between us and him. But that's why he sent his son to forgive us. And it's like going through a desert and finding that, you know, as you're fam- just parched and you find that spring of water and you take a drink and then you stay there. And you drink from that stream every single day for the rest of your life. That is what, that is what he does for us when, when we confess our sins to him. He forgives us, moves in, and it's that thing. The challenge we're saying today is that we keep drinking. Keep drinking from that stream of life. Can we pray? God, I thank you that you're here. And we acknowledge it. You are far better at speaking to hearts than I am. And so my prayer tonight is simple. Would you give us ears to hear and to understand? Lord, may we hear your voice. That we may clearly know what you desire for each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw us to those places of quiet, silence throughout our day, just to acknowledge that you are here. You are incredible, Father. You truly are. You are worthy of every, everything that you've described in your name. You are worthy. May our worship of you leave this place and May you be worshipped wherever, wherever we find ourselves this week. You be glorified, honored, and praised. God, I ask this in your amazing name. Amen. Amen. Well, a couple thoughts. You know, one, uh, I would love for people to circle up and chat. Someone mentioned it earlier. There's something that happens when people gather in a group where it's not like, oh, I came and, and I left because I can promise you, you'll forget. That's why I sometimes wonder, why do they pay me to do this? Because it's like, you remember, like 30 seconds worth, 30 seconds later, and then it's, poof, gone. But I think there's something in this that we need to take home with us. That needs to become something of our rhythm and our pattern in our lives. And so the questions today are this. Either talk about them with somebody uh, or stay around and chat in a circle tonight. But what, uh, what jumped out of you from today's talk? 
as Gary says, what, if anything, jumped out at you from today's talk? And then second, what, uh, what name or attribute of God most resonated with you today? That list that came up, what was the one you're like, ah, oh, I've been striving, struggling, I've been trying to do this all on my own, I just wished I had thought that he's here. And then uh, what comes to your mind when you think that God is here? What, what thoughts came as we were silent for a while? What, what came to mind? Um, and then this last question, how often do you sit in silence just focusing on knowing him? And why is it that way or why is it not that way? And uh, if you have a chance to pray with one another out loud. And sometimes it like happens in the cafe. We've had it here before where something just gets brought up and like, oh, let me pray with you. And it can be real simple. God, help them. Amen. And promise it'll be a blessing. So tonight we've got, uh, I don't know, we've got the opportunity to hang out with each other. I would encourage you uh, just to, yeah, think of these things, ponder them, and uh, man, I, I'm just going to leave it at that. You are dismissed. Have a fantastic rest of your night.